Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available at Amazon in ebook and paperback. And if you're an audiophile, you can pick up one through eight at Audible iTunes and Amazon as well. So you can ride your bike. Do your work, mow your lawn with your headphones on, and listen to Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. And don't forget my latest book, UFO, Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, W.J. Sheehan. Check it out. It's awesome. And now, without any further delay, may I introduce you to my blood brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. What if what if I don't want to mow the lawn and I just want to listen to the podcast? Well, you could do that, but I'm just okay. saying you could get you could kill two birds or three Bigfoot with one rock. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, I hear they throw them back, you know. Yeah, and bigger ones. <laughs> <laughs> ah, is that all you got, human? Bite. <laughs> yeah, but all all is good on this end, Bill. Other than being a little too hot. Uh, I've been out traveling a bunch with my day job again, as you know. Uh, It's been interfering with our schedules a little bit over time, but uh, this past uh, week I was out in uh, Denver, Colorado again, and we'll talk about that. I got to stay at a rather creepy hotel, it turns out. (laughs) Yeah, 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 and I'm glad we're going to talk about that because, that's, folks, this is going to be quite interesting. (laughs) But, uh, Kev, let's... Let's bust into for a minute the final episode of Expedition Bigfoot since it's right in our wheelhouse and we've been praising and or critical of them uh, during the whole show. And from what our listeners say, a lot of them agree with our uh, synopsis on the various episodes, you know. But, uh, you know, they did in that final roundtable break down some of the evidential finds that we had been critical of, but not all of them. So, you know, they still left a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on the table, so to speak, that really was worthy of a lot more time spent on it. Wouldn't you agree? That's cool. I have not seen the final episode yet, so it's been recorded. But I've been running around like crazy and I haven't seen it. So did they find any uh Interesting DNA? Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that were real interesting. I shouldn't say a lot. There's, there's a handful. But uh, 
they had run across those nests made of boughs, fresh-cut evergreen boughs laid out and kind of tucked together and twisted together to make basically a mattress. Wow. And they found a couple of them very big in the woods. They took some earth DNA from them. And the DNA came back with some really strange stuff. Mm. Uh, one portion of the DNA came back as orang, as in orangutan. Wow. And from the same nests also came back a rare variety of wolf that exists only in Alaska. Mm. And when uh, Maria Mayor was asked about migration of wolves, she said they don't migrate. Uh, they kind of hang where they hang, and they live around their area. I'm sure they have a uh, some type of perimeter of, you know, whatever mileage it may be, 10 miles, 20 miles, but they don't wander around in packs to different locales. So here we had this rare, unusual variety of wolf DNA showing up in this nest, and also orangutan. Hmm. They didn't talk about that could be like the combination of DNA that creates a dog man, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't. But you know what it reminded me of, Kev? You remember, uh, I think it was last season when they were back in Kentucky? Right. And they came up with that chimpanzee DNA yes. under that elaborate tree structure? Yes. So now we have chimpanzee and we have orangutan. Uh, in different areas of the country. And neither, well, obviously, none of them, and they weren't zoo animals that escaped. Didn't uh, fall off the circus train, are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the crashed circus train. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty bizarre. That is cool. You know, I mean, my theory is that there, you know, about Bigfoot, is that there could be, you know, some type of creature out there that we just don't know about yet and it is related to gigant gigantopithecus or some mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. ape-like creature yeah you know i think it could certainly be that very bizarre and so secondarily do you recall when uh now his name is slipping me again uh the army guy the hiker the tracker. Yeah. Uh, I just drew a blank on it. Yeah, Anyways, okay. folks, I think I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he had put out some tracking discs. Oh, that yeah, the ones that got picked up in the fur or whatever? That's correct. They were supposed yeah. to get caught up in the fur of anything brushing against them. Yeah. And he had that app on his phone that would hone in on it and let him know when he was yes. near to it. Yes, but only if well, he was really close. Like, that was the disadvantage and the advantage. Like, it was pretty cool when the thing would alert him and say, it's 50 yards away or whatever. You know, not very far at all, right? Right, and he was boogieing after it the couple of times he had a lead on it. I was a little uh, nervous for him, you know, because it could have been a grizzly bear with it on him, and he's going to run up on it in the dark. <laughs> yeah, well, these, you know, they're not, they're not playing with a full deck, these guys, you know what no. I mean? Uh, but they did come across the disc laying on the ground, 
and it looked like a one inch one inch diameter like bristle brush. Yeah. And inside of the bristles was a considerable amount of fur or hair. Yep. Well, that went out for DNA testing, and it came back as human. Hmm. Now, if you recall, uh, Russell Acord, that's his name. Yes. And the other fellow was named Ron or Ronnie. Ronnie! Uh, Ronnie! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maria called him, Ronnie! <laughs> Maria to Ronnie! <laughs> so what got me about that was, and Russell had said, this thing was out maneuvering me when I was on its tail. The other thing is, he was mounting those things, if you recall. I'm estimating about four feet off the ground. And you would think if it was a human, first of all, it would have to be one hairy bugger. I was going to say, it would have to be one furry human. Yeah, to get all of that hair in one little thing. And if you or I had that thing dangling on our hairy forearm... You wouldn't be running around for a long time without flicking that thing off or yanking it off. So yeah, no that doubt. Was, I mean, that's weird, Bill. So wh- what was their theory with that? They really didn't have much of a theory. Okay. Russell, had, Russell had just commented what I just said, that this thing was outmaneuvering me in the woods, and I'm pretty good in the woods. Right. And he was doing his darndest to keep up with it through some really thick foliage and branches. I mean, you saw some of these areas they were in. You could easily fall and break a limb or get whacked in the face. You're not moving all too fast in there. Uh, and this was certainly no exception when he was tracking this thing with the and, and uh, laying these uh, uh, tags or tracking discs, whatever you want to call them out. That was some really dense brush. Hmm. So that's kind of mysterious. And then, in the end, uh, they broke out the pictures of the bipedal creature that Russell got on his spotting scope with the camera. Now, did you see any clips of that in the previous episode, having not seen the last one? Now, was that the one where it was, like, peeking around the tree? No, we will talk about that. Okay. Russell was Russell was on a hillside. He decided he was going to oh, set yes, up Oh, yes, I there. did see that one. Now, that one, no, Bill, that looked a little bit like a bear to me. I know it was, a sta- it was clearly standing on two legs. Right. But the image of it looked a little bit like a bear. I don't know. Well, it was down... Uh, on its haunches when he first was looking at it, and he thought he was looking at a bear. Right. And I'll tell you, I I saw that thing about five or six times, and again, I wish they would have froze that and gone frame by frame slowly with discussion. It did look to me on the second or third time that it stood up turned to the left and took like two steps behind that fir tree or whatever it was. Exactly. Yeah, I did see that. And I watched it a bunch of times, too, like you. Yeah. Yeah, it just really weird, man. It looked kind of bear-like, you know, like a big bear, almost like a circus bear, you know, standing up like it had the short legs, you know, tall but short short kind of legs and uh, round, 
Yogi Bear girth to it. <laughs> well, it did look listen. like it had a picnic basket in its hand. <laughs> it was a, a long distance he was looking oh, yeah. at it. Yeah. And with limited magnification. Uh, but I don't know, yeah, man. It could that be freaking... like, I don't, I don't know what stuff looks like in the infrared. I, I mean, I know when they look at the deer and stuff, it's pretty unmistakable that it's a deer, you know. Right. But who knows? Well, that I'm, that I'm particular no look, they, that particular look was broad daylight, though. That was an infrared. Oh, okay. It looked like it was glowing, though. Like, now, you might be thinking of another. Uh, he had a couple of infrared shots that he took. This was broad daylight on an adjacent hillside across this valley. Okay. And you could see the creature right up against the sandy slope and the brush and the trees. Uh, so there was no... Uh, oh, okay. No, okay. I may be mixing the two things up, but I think I'm yeah. still talking about the same thing, though, where it looked a little round like a bear, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give I you a know. shot. I I'll give you a shot to see it again. And yeah. then maybe you could bring it up, you know? No doubt. No doubt. But to your point, that one shot when they were filming what, man, I'll eat my hat. If that wasn't a Bigfoot sticking the side of its body out behind that tree and ducking back a couple of yeah, times. Doing I'll a eat. little slow peek. Yeah. That was I mean, super even interesting. The shape and everything of the head yeah. coming down into the shoulder. Yeah, see, like that, for example, in contrast to me, didn't look at all like a bear. Yeah. So. I mean, no way. You know, if yeah. anything, it looked like a real robust human yeah. with some type of getup on that would make it look like a... a, a but, see, I'm not buying into that. I'm not going down that road that yeah. this was a, a, a hoax. Because if you've seen humans in clothing on infrared, they don't show up that bright. You have to almost be naked with fur on your body to have that much heat head to toe. Yeah. You know, your heat signature with clothing on is not going to appear like that. No, that makes sense. You know, so uh, very interesting. Anyways, uh, that's about it, man. Uh, you know, I think it's a great, great show. I wish them continued success. And uh, I hope that the producers or the investors uh, allow them to remain on the hunt for many years to come. Uh, because I think they're doing a great, great job. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, like I said, if I'm critical for a minute, there, the years prior to this one, I thought were better. This one was, there were a few episodes that were just kind of artificially dramatic, you know, running around in the dark, um, you know, just getting super excited about some stuff. And you could see the conflict um, between, uh, what's her what's her name? I can never remember her name. Well, Maria Mayor Maria, and Ronnie. Yeah, Maria and Ronnie, like the conflict was, and I'm sure that's part of the production too, right? They're trying to bring out the conflict where she would talk about the fact that he loves to jump to conclusions and she's more of a scientist, you know, and kind of believes that the most obvious explanation is probably the explanation until proven otherwise. Yeah, well, as a scientist, she's got to go that route, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do too, 
you know, as a yeah. science-driven person. So yeah. I get it. But yes. it's cool. Yeah, I like it. And then next episode, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that closing episode of uh, Skinwalker Ranch, too. Was that the closing? I think it was. I don't know. But that now that show is off the hook this season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't I have no criticism. I mean, you saw those metal fragments that came up from like 300 feet into that mesa. Yeah. In the mesa, like sheets of metal. Yeah. That had aluminum. What is going on with that? Yeah. I mean, you can say whatever you want. Uh, my mind was wandering that maybe uh, during that Bigelow ownership, uh, something was plugged into that maze, dug up, That's and the I rocks. Think. Put- I think they dug something up and found something, and then said, "Whoa, let's put uh, you know some metal over this thing so it doesn't emit any more energy or get out of there or whatever it is." Yeah, very That's what bizarre, man. That is freaky deaky. Yes. I, I got a feeling I don't think that was the last. I think there's one more coming. I hope not. I hope not. I just, you know, yeah, it was like episode seven or something. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe that's the last one. But I don't know. Yeah, what did they do last year? I thought they did about ten. Maybe. Maybe. Well, anyways, let's see what happens, yeah. you know. But uh, why don't we dive into your little escapade to Denver, brother? Yeah, so uh, this week in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, I'm going to report on an interesting field trip. Yeah. And this, by the way, Bill, there's a second, <coughs> excuse me, a second mini chapter to the field trip that I haven't even mentioned to you yet. Oh, Which I okay. will after we talk about the first chapter. <laughs> so, so I was out in Denver and, um, you know, uh, Probably six months ago, I reported on staying at the uh, uh, Stanley Hotel up in Estes Park, which was the inspiration for uh, Stephen King's writing of The Shining. And that was pretty creepy. Um, So I figured, well, I'm in downtown Denver, and I said, let's stay at the Brown Palace Hotel while I'm working. Uh And uh, the Brown Palace is the second oldest hotel in Denver, but pretty darn old, built in 1892. Uh Uh-huh. And it's a very cool-looking building, so it's triangular in shape, so it looks a little bit like the famous Flatiron Building in Manhattan. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Our listeners have seen pictures of the Flatiron or seen it in... uh, in person, so it looks a little bit like that, but it is brown, uh, like reddish brown in color. And I thought it was called the Brown Palace because it's brown. And uh, it turns out, though, it's named after its original owner, and his name was Henry C. Brown, who huh. uh, who had it built. And it's made out of sandstone and red granite. And it's interesting because the building is one of the first buildings. That was designed to be fireproof. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, built with iron and steel framework covered with cement and sandstone. So basically no wood uh, huh. in it, which back in 1892, you know, that was very progressive. Yeah, for oh a tall yeah. Building. And the thing is about nine stories high. So I was on the seventh floor. There were two, two floors above me. I put up some pictures on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, 
under this episode, uh, episode 156, uh, one picture from the website of the hotel, of the outside, and then I put up a couple of my own pictures on the inside. So when you walk into this place, you definitely know it's old. I didn't know it was that old, though. I mean, 1892 is really old. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, it at, during its completion, it was the it was the tallest building in Denver back then, which is kind of cool. You had and nine stories, right? Had nine stories, yeah. <laughs> and um, and when you walk into it, it's also one of the first buildings built with an atrium structure. So, like when you walk in, you look directly up to the ceiling, and it's stained glass on the ceiling, nine stories above you. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I posted a cool picture of that on our website, too. And then the rooms kind of go. And so on the ground floor in that atrium is the lobby with some tables and a piano and stuff like that where you can sit and have some tea or some coffee and listen to someone play the piano. And they did have someone playing the piano during the day in there. It was kind of interesting. The Mm -hmm. grand piano. And then as you look around the edges of the atrium going all the way up to nine stories, you see the railings of each floor of the hotel. So your your hotel room enters on this each on these walkways that actually walk around the lobby. And that's important for what I'm going to talk about. Right. So like if someone's Mm -hmm. playing the piano downstairs, you hear the piano perfectly clearly in your room. Wow, that's cool. Right, right. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, old school. And <clears throat> this hotel is known to be one of the most haunted places in Denver. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why it's haunted, so this is super interesting, is related to the fact that there was a murder there uh, back, back in uh, 1911. Huh. Yeah. Moida. Did you say Moida? I said Moida. So, and the, <laughs> the murder was pretty interesting as well. Um, it was, it turned out to be a double murder, and it was about two men, or it was brought about by two men trying to win the love of a woman who was married uh, named Isabel Springer and not married to either of the two men. And this woman, Isabel Springer, apparently was quite the socialite in Denver at the time, back then in 1911. So these two guys were involved in like a double, uh, a double uh, love affair with somebody they couldn't have. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the trouble begins. Right. And the one businessman, his name was Frank Henwood, uh, he murdered Tony Von Fool. And Fuel was from St. Louis, and uh, they they started arguing, took out a gun, started shooting at one another, and uh, Henwood hit Tony, and Tony died. And in the crossfire, a bystander named George Copeland was also killed. So that's how two of them were killed in this. Wow. What yeah. a shame, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I am back to me staying there, right? I'm like, all right, I'm looking around. It's super cool, really a beautiful place, you know, this old hotel. And then I start to read about, so what are the typical hauntings? And, you know, one thing is uh, they often see a man dressed in an old train conductor's uniform 
walking around, and uh, the help at the hotel has seen him walk through walls. Wow. Right, he'll be walking away from you and then walk through a wall. <laughs> so I definitely had my eye open for yeah. that. Yeah, that'll creep you out. Yeah, I didn't see that, but then they talked about the fact that sometimes in the middle of the night, you'll hear music being played, like a, uh, a string quartet. And um, you'll hear it coming from where the music room is, but there's no one there. But apparently, this quartet um, used to play, and guests would watch the live performances. Huh. And, of course, you're talking at, at night people hear this, late, oh, late at night? Late at night. So, Bill, I yeah. read this, right? And I'm thinking, okay, you know, whatever, that's kind of cool. And then I hear music, and I look at the clock. I was there for two nights. First night I hear music, and it sounds kind of like uh, Baroque, you know, quartet, string quartet music from the Baroque era, something like that. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I look at the clock. It's 3.15 wow. a.m. And I'm like, what the heck is that? So I go over to the window, right? Because you basically have the door that faces the atrium and the window of your hotel that faces outside. And, of course, everything's closed. But I look out the window, and I don't see anything, and I don't hear anything coming from outside. And I walk over to the door, and I clearly hear music coming from outside. So I'm like, what the heck? How could there be music playing at 3.15 in the morning? Like, you're going to wake up everybody in the hotel. So I put my clothes on. I open up my door. I walk out to the railing, and I don't hear the music anymore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't like you were hearing some boombox or something. No, you're no, hearing, no, no, no. You're hearing yeah. Baroque string music. Yeah, string quartet. Yeah, at, at 3.15 in the morning, by the right. way. Right. So wow. then I'm like, okay, that is weird. And I go back out there. I walk around the whole uh, perimeter of the railing. Uh, I was on the seventh floor. I walk around the seventh floor looking up and down. And you can look all over the hotel just from that perch as you're walking around, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, nothing. So I go back to my room. I go back to sleep. I sleep until the morning, and then the next night, the same thing at about 3.30 in the morning. Wow, and the timing was very close as well. Exactly. Wow, the same kind of music? Same kind of music. Wow, that's Sound asleep. really... I go over to the window, nothing. I go over by the door, I hear it clearly, I put my clothes on, I go out there, and I don't hear the music. This is a strange question, but you didn't happen to run that by any other guests during the day, did you? No, no. I, I, When I was on the elevator, I asked folks, you know, if they knew the place was haunted. And the folks I came in contact with, like three of them, didn't know. Okay. So. All right. Well, I mean, certainly. But I don't think uh, I was hearing things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if anything, I'm, uh, I'm toward the deaf end of the spectrum, not the, <laughs> not the hearing thing end. Yeah, I mean that is bizarre, man. Super strange, you know, but, right? You know, see when you have an encounter like that, it just opens your eyes to the reality of these things. Exactly. I mean, what else could it be? Could they be uh playing stuff to pump up the place being haunted through some little remote little PA once in a while just I to kind of No, that's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, just to give and, it a little zhuzh. You don't really want to, like, I'm a business traveler. You don't really want to go out of your way to annoy business travelers, you know. Yeah. I mean, they don't know that I'm into cryptids and other oddities, you know. <laughs> Fortunately, I guess that's good. Maybe they would have had a Bigfoot knock at my door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nosferatu going around the railing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we want, yeah. so then this next chapter that I promise you, so super cool, folks. If if you know anything about the Brown Palace or you've had an experience staying there, let us know, right? So yeah, definitely. And then and then uh, we won't be able to go into this in detail because I'm chewing up too much time. Interesting stuff, though. But the one day uh, I was in Denver, I had to go about two hours away to a little city called Canyon City. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was there, real rural place um, outside of Colorado Springs, I saw a ton of Apache helicopters flying around. And, oh. you know, you're you're in these like gorges, gorges there. Like there's a famous uh, whitewater rafting gorge there called the Royal Gorge. And you could see these helicopters flying around. They look like they were fully armed, too, these Apache helicopters. And I look on the map, and what city do you think is like one city, one town away from Canyon City? Uh, I... I y- y- if I had time to think, I may be I able know. to no, come. That's a hard question, but yeah, remember it's a the Salida Tim Edwards UFO report? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, Bill. Wow, and that was just a few weeks ago he was talking about having had that. No, uh, no, that was a few years ago. The episode was a few weeks ago, but that was a few years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah okay, I got Tim you. Edwards. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tim Edwards, but wow. pretty close by. So then I start looking at the map, and I'm like, "What are all these Apache helicopters doing flying around?" And it turns out that that's the old the old NORAD headquarters is close by there, relatively close by in Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah, and now that's the new uh, Space Force station. You know how the yeah. government formed the Space Force now to be able to fight wars in outer space. Yeah, that's a real interesting... Uh, yeah, so I was thinking uh, about Cheyenne Mountain, Space Force Station, and what Tim Edwards saw, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's, there's more than meets the eye going on continually right under our noses. And all, it would take somebody like you, Kev, or I, to make a few observations about what we see or to even see what we see. I don't think most people even consider the things that you were just considering. No, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just sadly the way it is, you know. Yep. Wow. But cool stuff. Well, it was a good week, Bill. I, uh, it, was, it was fun to uh, experience some of this paranormal. And I'm not a big paranormal guy either. But I was like, okay, this is like really happening. And then it happened again the next night. I was like, all right, something's up. Yeah, well, you know, getting back to those Apaches and whatnot, you know as well as I do that they train in gorges, fast flight, you know, for uh, invasive uh, tactics or evasive tactics, uh, tactics, whatever the case may be. It wouldn't be uncommon for them to find an area like that if they were stationed not too far away to go zooming through there 
and practice uh, flight and formation and fighting in like a cavern. Yeah, the only uh, thing is, though, this is a gorge, rather. Yeah, this is one of the most popular whitewater rafting places in the country. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I don't know. You'd think they'd well, look find at, a different gorge. But look maybe. at the way they rip around down by you, Kev, like that one oh, video yeah, yeah. you showed me, that gunship coming. That gunship must have been doing 250 miles an hour down yeah, that yeah, river. Yeah. Yep. Down I mean, that the, thing was uh, ripping. River in North Carolina. Wow. Yeah. yeah, he was whipping. Yeah, incredible, man. Well, cool, man. Show. So that's that's what I got. A mouthful this week, I know, but it was super cool. How about how about you, Bill? What what kind of account do you have for us? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, this unusual sighting was brought to my attention by a fellow named Ned Thomas and his wife Terry. And this is what they and their two children saw while hiking the Cathedral Spires Trail. Now, this is Terry beginning. We're going to go back and forth a little bit, but this is Terry, the wife. It was in 2001 that my husband and I had taken our two sons, Benjamin and Lyle, for a week's vacation in our, our RV to tour the region of South Dakota. It was the first Monday in June that we had arrived at the Cathedral Spires Trail near Custer, as in General Custer, in South Dakota. The boys were both relatively young at the time, being 10 and 8 years old, respectively. Having done our homework beforehand, we felt as though this hike would be easily handled by the two of them, and so we went. We were well into the hike, and the day was picture-perfect, having just crossed a stream, and as we were taking in the beautiful wildflowers— we had come to a place in the trail that was lined with wild raspberries. We stopped to partake of a few berries as we took in the views of the spires around us. The needles, as many call these rock spires, were visible throughout. They are apparently a destination for many rock climbers as well, although we saw none on the day we were there. We were making our way along a rock-strewn trail with the spires ahead of us as we walked. The trail was flanked with pines of varying heights and shapes, some of which were pointy and others that were quite bushy. There were also many large exposed boulders that jutted out of the soil as we were nearing an area where the land began to slope upward toward the base of the spires. Now, this is Ned. What Terry has told you up until this point is exactly the way I recall it as well. It was then that I asked her and the boys if they thought they could handle walking up the slope off the side of the trail with the base of the spires being our destination. They were all game, and so we began to make our way toward them. We had just rounded a patch of pine trees when I raised my hand for everyone to stop and be quiet. Perhaps a few hundred yards away from us was a small herd of mountain goats nibbling on some foliage near the base of the spires. 
The hillside we were watching had many dead trees on it, with some of them still standing while others lay on the ground throughout the slope. And as we stood there watching the goats, there was a barrier of pines and some yellow-covered trees, which extended from the base of the spires and down the top edge of this slope, with the goats walking in and out of these trees just below the spires. Now, Benjamin had just turned eight years old, but he was certainly the more curious of our two boys. The reason I mention this is that while our eyes were fixed on watching the goats sneaking in and out of the view between the trees, Benjamin said, there's something playing peekaboo with the goats up there. Terry looked, as I said to Benjamin, where do you see somebody playing peekaboo, honey? He said, right up there, as he pointed. Well, none of us could see anything. So I squatted down and got right next to him, asking him to show me with his finger where he saw someone. He seemed to be pointing at an area midway up the side of this one spire, where there were a number of trees growing on it and between it, as well as on the spires next to it. Then Benjamin said, there he is again. He's looking at that goat. Well, this little guy had eyes like an eagle, because none of us had seen what he did. There was actually a small goat sitting very still right on the side of this one spire. It was just below the group of trees and above where the other goats were walking below. As soon as I saw this little goat, and just as Benjamin was saying, there he is again, I saw what he was talking about. There was a large dark figure coming out from behind one of the trees about midway up the side of the spire. It was actually about 50 feet above this little goat, which was standing on the rocky wall. Now that I had seen this thing, and knowing exactly where to look, I directed my wife and Lyle where to look as we all watched and waited for whatever this was to come popping out of hiding yet again. As all of us stood looking, I took my camera out, which had a slight telephoto capability, and fixed it right on the very spot where I had seen this thing. No sooner had I fixed the lens on it did everyone, including myself, say, There it is! Only this time I had a better view than everybody else. And what I saw in my lens was a large brown Bigfoot. Terry and I were standing right behind the two boys as I turned toward Terry and mouthed the words Bigfoot. Her eyebrows raised as I passed her the camera and pointed toward the spire. This thing was coming in and out of view about three or four times a minute as we stood there watching. And my wife and I were mouthing to each other that it was watching the goat on the side of the spire. It was moments later, as I now had the camera back in my hands, that this Bigfoot stepped out into the open and made a long, sweeping throwing motion with its left arm. The goat on the side of the spire jumped back and forth as fast as it could, making its way down to the base 
and as it did so, the entire herd took off through the trees and out of sight. The Bigfoot simply turned around and disappeared behind the trees and the edge of the spire, retreating out of sight. The boys asked me what that man was doing up there, to which I said he was hiking like we were, only up on the rocks. My wife and I held our conversation until the boys were asleep later that night. Even at the distance we were looking, the two of us were in total agreement that this thing was massive, black, and or very dark brown in color. It kept jumping in and out of cover in a very peculiar way, seeming like it wouldn't make up its mind what to do or couldn't make up its mind. The goat was so close to it and yet so far, and yet perhaps it was already tasting it in its mind. What I saw it do was that of throwing a rock, I believe, in the direction of the goat, which was followed immediately by the goat bolting off the side of the spire. It had either hit it or missed it and spooked it into movement. Either way, this Bigfoot was hiding, uh, that was hiding was in the shadow of one of the spires, with the goat being in the shadow of the same spire's wall as well. It was something that we will never forget. And that's it, Kev. Wow. Pretty bizarre, That is pretty huh? cool. Makes me want to go up there to South Dakota, too, and check out that park. I I haven't been to that one, Cathedral Spires Trail. Yeah, I saw a picture of it, and they appear like uh, large thorns made of stone. Yeah. You know, wide at the base, narrowing to almost a point at the top. That's why they call them the needles. Yeah. And you could see, uh, as he said, that there are trees, like in many places, that somehow seeds got into these cracks and sprouted a spruce tree or something, you know. So there were trees in and out of the cracks and crevices on these spires, which is kind of interesting to look at. And, And what's also wild is... Here's the kids seeing it, you know. Um, apparently, he didn't have a cell phone, so he didn't have his face buried in a tablet or a cell phone. And he's actually <laughs> looking up there at the ridge and, you know, says, uh, hey, he's playing peekaboo with the goats. Like, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, l- leave it to the little kid to check it out, you know. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, very bizarre. And they recognized it immediately as a Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah, no hesitation there. All right. The husband said, this is a Bigfoot, and mouthed it to his wife. Yeah. So, you know, again, here you have people. Folks, we know what we're looking at. You know, they knew what they were looking at. You know, and what bear uh, is throwing something overhand or sidearm at a goat on the side of a spire? (laughs) I mean, come on. Not likely. Yeah, no, not likely at all. And certainly a very rural place, right? South Dakota anyway. Well, I would imagine uh, this must be some type of national park, right? Yeah, yeah, it's probably probably near the uh, Badlands there, which I have been to. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. the whole place is pretty rural. Yeah, well, you know, it's like going into the land of the dinosaurs when you hit these places, you know? Yeah, 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 no doubt about it. But uh, that's an incredible account, man. And uh, that's awesome. 
Yeah, just a little details, you know. When I talk to people, I tell them, give me all the details. Give me time of day. Give me the weather. Give me your mother's maiden name. <laughs> you know, whatever you got, I want to know Give me a credit it. card number. Buy some yeah. books. Yeah. <laughs> give me your PayPal account number. <laughs> but, you know, I like the details because they really enable you to paint the picture in the mind's eye and enter into the place. No doubt about it. Uh, it's like looking at a painting, right, Kev? No doubt about it, yeah. So, so um, very good. So what do we got in our listener mail today? So we got some good emails, Bill. The first one came in from Jared, and I think Jared's from Michigan based on uh, what he wrote in about. But okay. uh, he writes in about a very recent Bigfoot sighting in a place called Macomb, Michigan. And okay. uh, he says there was a recent Bigfoot sighting in Macomb, Michigan that made the papers and included police officers. He said, I saved the link to the article, but can't seem to paste it into this message. It would be easy to find, though. It occurred on June 18th, 2022. So not that long ago, Bill. And uh-huh. no problem, Jared. I found the article and I am definitely going to cover this in a future uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities. So thank you for giving me that tip. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so it's definitely worth looking into a little further, Kevin, no giving it its it. due. And I didn't see it until Jared pointed it out. So thank you, sir. Yeah, good job with that, Jared. And any of you other folks out there like Jared, reach out to us, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact button, and lay it on us, brother. Exactly. Or sister. <laughs> wow. And speaking yeah. of sister, Jennifer from Pennsylvania writes in, um, and the subject is NASA UAP research team. She says, hello, WJ and KJ. First, I would like to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I love listening to you guys and rarely listen to the radio in my car anymore, preferring to catch up with you two. Oh. And w- yeah. And WJ, I'm praying for your wife, Paula, and hopes that she will heal quickly. Thank and you. Yes. And Jennifer writes, I was just curious on what you guys think of NASA putting together a new research group to study UAP sightings. Do you think it is a step closer to full disclosure? Keep up the great work, Jennifer from PA. So, you know, Jennifer, absolutely, I think it brings us much closer. And one of the main reasons may be a surprise to you, maybe it won't be a surprise, but that, you know, NASA is saying and the government is saying that they, they're encouraging people in the military, pilots, folks like that, to report anything weird they see and not to be embarrassed by it. So I think most or, you know, a large portion of sightings were never reported because people were afraid that they wouldn't get their next promotion, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Kev, I don't know what to think about this other than UFOs are real, but they really looked foolish over the past decades taking the stance they took. And now that they have a space force and... uh all kinds of crit the space station and the shuttle flights folks give me a break 
I see stuff in my backyard. And you're going to tell me you haven't seen anything? Spending months and months circling the the earth in space? Give me a break. (laughs) You know, there's nothing out there. I'm telling you, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. Now go away. You trust them? No. No. So so that's the answer for you, Jennifer. Thanks for writing in. So we're still waiting for like that next level of disclosure that yeah. the government was supposed to give us related to UAPs, though, too. I keep checking. I haven't seen anything yet. So our next email comes in from Kenneth from your favorite state bill. Oregon? Oregon, yes. (laughs) And Kenneth writes, Hey guys, Ken here from Brownsville, Oregon. I've been listening for a few years now and I love the show. Just wanted to say keep up the good work and if I ever see something... I will definitely say something. I love ah. wa- yeah, I love wandering around the Cascade Mountains near where I live. I can uh-huh. be in the foothills in less than five minutes, and I go there quite often, always with my eyes wide open. Ah. I grew up terrified of Bigfoot because of my older brothers who would taunt me with Bigfoot's coming to get ya <laughs> all the time. As I got older, I became fascinated by them, and I've been looking ever since. Uh-huh. I hope that someday I will have another encounter to share with you. Many <laughs> blessings and prayers to you both. Excellent, excellent. You're laughing yeah. and giggling as only an older brother would. <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot's coming to get, get you. <laughs> Take that, you little bastard. <laughs> well, that's now, a good one. Thank you for sending that in. That, that yeah. uh, made me smile, Kenneth. That's good stuff, man. And our last email, and the longest, but pretty, pretty interesting and fun as well, comes in from Down Under. From oh, Matt. Did from Matt, from Sydney, Australia. Ah, the land Matt. of Oz. Yes. And he says, greeting, lads, from Sydney, Australia. I stumbled across your podcast when I was recuperating from a bike accident I had on the Queen K Highway in the great state of Hawaii. Ho-ho! I know, I had to read that a couple of times. Yeah. It took a few operations to patch things back up and I couldn't do any real exercise for two years. Wow. So my, yeah. So my favorite thing to do was to, to start my hiking boot, start with my hiking boots on, plug in your podcast while slowly walking the bush tracks around my home. Huh. Nothing better than listening to a Bigfoot story while tramping around the bush in a Sydney <laughs> thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, these people are such characters, man. Matt says, anyway, just thought I'd let you know that your podcast certainly helped and entertained me whilst recuperating, as well as helping us all get through the long Sydney lockdowns during COVID. 
<laughs> Today, I ran my first nonstop 10-kilometer around the Harbor City, so thought I'd share my thanks with you. Yeah. I, I took a photo to send, but can't see a link to send a photo. My two girls think it's hilarious. I listen to the pot that I listen to the podcast whenever I leave in my hiking boots. They always say, uh, in their best imitation of a Southern American accent, Dad, are you carrying more gun than you think you're gonna need? <laughs> because <laughs> you may see a freaking Sasquatch. <laughs> Is that you know, awesome Kim, or what? I love the way people have taken to my little taglines and up to the beginning of our podcast. Yeah. You so know, many uh, people have written in about the kids, especially saying, it's yeah. a freaking Sasquatch. Yeah. You know, we don't realize it. I don't realize it. That to them, I sound like some kind of piece of work, you know. <laughs> and they're laughing at me, you know, my accent and this and that. And they're like, yeah, listen to this guy. It's a freaking Sasquatch. <laughs> you know. But let me tell you something. What was that guy's name, Matt? Matt. Yeah, he's a, he's a, and I got more of his letter, too. But go, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, yeah. So he says, Bigfoot question is that we often hear that if a certain environment could support an apex predator like a bear, there'd be uh -huh. no reason it could not support a Bigfoot. Sure. Are there any accounts for bears and Bigfoot running into each other? Or are they <laughs> smart enough to respect and avoid each other? <laughs> anyway, thanks again for the back-and-forth nature of your conversations. It is always very, very entertaining and just great to hear. In Australia, we'd liken it to two mates down at the pub, shooting the, you know what I mean, over a yeah. couple of beers. <laughs> Matt from Oz. Well, you know, Matt from Oz. Matt, surely you realize you're not playing with a full deck, brother. <laughs> I mean, anyone walking around in a thunderstorm in the woods for exercise is not right. He does say if he had the appropriate wet weather gear on. I don't know if that protects him from the electricity. But, yeah, you know. and, and holding an umbrella made of stainless steel. I mean, the folks in Oz are a little rougher than we are. Though. Yeah, they're, yeah, no, I, I get that. They're a little but rougher he, and tumbly because <laughs> they got so many creatures around there that are just trying to kill them. And he did, he did though, spiral out of control in a bike accident. I mean, that doesn't That's speak true. well of Matt. Well, it could have been yeah. that he got he was riding a bike and a great white shark jumped over the isthmus yeah. of land he was on and bit his leg off. Yeah, or he rode his bike to the pub. And was riding back plastered. Uh, maybe, maybe, but I, I, I like Matt. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. Oh, I didn't say I didn't like him. I just said, <laughs> Matt, you gotta know. You know, remember uh, Clint Eastwood? A man needs to know his limitations. He got to know his limitations. <laughs> In all the excitement, I kind of lost count myself. <laughs> I love that stuff. Uh, we've got some great listeners, Kev. We and, do. Uh, we do. Fantastic mail this week, as always. So uh, thank you, everybody. And by the way, folks, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. It is virtually the only means we have to attract new listeners. And as we get more listeners, we're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast. And Lord knows there's still room for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and by the way, folks, don't be such tight wads. 
go out there and buy a couple of books. <laughs> I, I, you know, Kev, I honestly think that people think like I'm over here getting rich on book sales or something. He's not getting rich, folks. <laughs> Far from it, folks. I assure you. <laughs> My, you know, Kev, Pat. Now, Pat's our sister, uh, folks, that are listening. I'm talking to Pat the other night, and she says, do you guys make money off of this podcast? I said, no, it costs us money. <laughs> and she's like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, my brother, yeah. My brother writes me each week, doesn't put a stamp on the letter, so I have to pay postage <laughs> to receive the letter, and he's asking me to send him number two pencils. So, <laughs> so buy a book from him, will you? I'm tired of paying his postage. <laughs> oh, it's too much, man. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, anyways, folks, if you should find yourself wandering around the spires in South Dakota, like the two folks, Ned and Terry, were doing with the two little boys, you better wise up and remember... Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>